0: Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10. Uh, Those of you that were uh, expecting Advent to begin uh, this Sunday, it actually begins next Sunday. So uh, I know we've kind of already started our Christmas. We had our Thanksgiving dinner, we watched Elf and Home Alone, and so, you know, we're into the season, but uh, technically Advent begins next week. So we're going to, uh, today, take uh, another look at our verse of the year that we began the year with, and uh, we will uh, consider as we go into uh, the Advent season uh, in Hebrews 10 beginning with verse 19. Now, it begins with therefore. And uh, so you've always got to look back at the the context. Uh, What's what's it referring back to? And uh, it's my view that it's basically referring back to the whole book up to that point where uh, the writer is talking to us about the sufficiency of what Christ has done, and how it's not about us presenting sacrifices, it's not about any of of those things that people think that they do in order to gain favor with God, and he's had just a a compelling argument all the way through uh, comparing the things of the Old Testament with Uh, The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he says, basically, because of all that, because of what Christ did, because of what it means for you, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, The curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful and... Here's our verse of the year. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, will you help us as we focus in these next few moments as we have in our background the knowledge of the sufficiency of the work of Christ and the opportunity of responding to that. And so will you show us what the right response is Not to try to add to that work, but instead to to enjoy and to reflect it in our lives, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Now there are uh, some trends in worship that we are seeing, even in uh, some churches in the Columbia area, uh, that basically a few years ago we we would have laughed at and said no, that's not going to happen. For instance, uh, a, a church gathering together on a Sunday morning and having a, a live feed or a delayed feed from uh, a pastor uh, in some other area, usually some other city, and sending their sermon there. I call it a remote pastor, uh, a pastor uh, from another area, and who will not, at least on that day, uh, look any of that congregation in the eye. And uh, they will have their time of live worship and then watch on a screen or some kind of a, a feed of his sermon. Now the question is, and we're not, you know, we're not judging other churches. They're doing what what they believe will reach uh, those they're trying to reach. But the question would be this: At what point does this stop? And is there a place where that should stop? Uh, where is there a line? For instance, in the future, and by the way, this is already being promoted in some churches, where you don't even have to come to church at all to be a part of the church. You can be on the web. You can watch it online and be considered a part of that church. And some of you are saying, hmm, I could be in my pajamas right now drinking a cup of coffee, eating some breakfast, and still be a part of a church. And some of you are going, oh, that's an awful thought. How could they even think in those terms? And so really the question, though, is how do we decide? What's the right reaction? Should there be any reaction to that kind of a thing. And why or why not? Why should we not do that? You know, at uh, our memorial service we had the other day for my mother, we had uh, a live feed to Turkey so that my daughter uh, and son-in-law could watch the service. Is that any different? We have the technology to do that. Well, here, I think, is, is the question and the way maybe that we should, should ask it and, uh, um, in terms of gathering together, because in this passage, apparently, there were some who were neglecting getting together for worship. And the writer of Hebrews addresses that. He said, that ought not to be. Now, it wasn't the live feed. It wasn't watching something on TV or anything like that. They they just weren't coming. Simon Kistemacher, uh, one commentator, said this. One of the first indications of a lack of love toward God and the neighbor is for a Christian to stay away from the worship services. He forsakes the communal obligations of attending these meetings and displays the symptoms of selfishness and self-centeredness. So here, I think, is the question. In evaluating these things, in evaluating our own behavior, what happens when we actually come together, physically come together like we are here today, that can't happen in the same way when we stay apart? Isn't that really the question? Is there something unique that happens when we gather that is not going to happen in the same way to the same degree if we don't gather together? And that's what I think this passage addresses. I'm going to give you four things quickly that he mentions here. The first one I've just called help. Help happens verse twenty four the first part, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Now virtually every time i uh, every week as I study the scripture, I see something that i 've never noticed before, and this week was was no different. In fact, I even look back at the, the previous sermon I preached on this passage at the the beginning of the year and Uh, I didn't catch this angle of what's being said here. The writer is not saying, uh, look, you need to get together so that you can do more love and good works to each other, although that happens. Instead, he says, you need to get together to help others to love and good works. Now, what's the difference? What's the, what's the nuance there? Well, I, um, look at, you know, in order to do that, in order to help others, you've you got to begin with uh, making a plan, and I see that in the first part of the verse, let us consider. That's the plan. Carefully think. Plan out. Um, you know, a popular phrase today would be, you need to be intentional about, uh, about what he's about to say. And so what are we to consider? Uh, the next phrase is one another. And that phrase is used dozens of times in the New Testament. I preached a whole series on one another's in uh, the New Testament. Uh, it's a word that, that's talking about exhorting one another to engage in... Uh, uh, in encouraging one another and helping one another function more effectively. And so here's the point. My job is to consider you, and your job is to consider me. That's the one another aspect of it, and, and that's what he's calling us to. Now, that, the, the problem with that is that's not what comes naturally. What comes naturally is for us to consider ourselves. And so we may say, okay, well, as I I go to church, um, let me see what I'm going to get out of this service today. Or "I I got this out of it. Now, you should get things out of it, but that shouldn't be the ultimate objective. Or you may say, well, I'll see who's accepting of me or who misses me or who greets me. When it comes to worship, When it comes to coming together, me is not the main thing. There is a one another aspect. And when that takes place, then the church begins to be the church when it's not all just about me. So you make a plan and then you follow through. He uses the word uh, translated stir up. One another. Some of your versions may say "spur one another on," uh, and you know when I see that word "spur," that's that's how I originally learned this uh, this verse. What do you think of cowboy? Right now, I, I don't know much about cowboys. And I, I don't know that much about horses, but I did read the book Sea Biscuit, which is about a, a racing horse. And they didn't use spurs when it comes to uh, you know race race horses, but you know what they use? The whip. And there's a whole big section in that, that book about the use of the whip because it, it can it can you know when it's used properly, when it's used badly, it can wreck everything. When, when it's used properly, it causes the the horse to to kind of wake up, to focus on what he's. He's supposed to be doing, and it can can help you win the race. And I I think that's the idea here is spurring one another on in the positive sense that we're better when we're together, and that's not going to happen when we're not together. When we spur one another on, Christ is honored. We, we will be fulfilled, and others will be fulfilled as well. And we will minister to others. And the church is doing what the church is made to do. Now, what am I to help you with? That's another thing that can't happen in the same way when we're apart from one another. Look at the next phrase love, verse 24. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Now, the thing about this, and you can't tell just from the word in the original language, you can't tell if it's talking about love toward God or love toward one another because the same word can be used for either one of those. And so I, I think it's, it's leaving it open for for Uh, both of those, but think first of all about spurring one another or stirring up one another to a love for God. You know, there's some people that just being around them, I've experienced at least, make you love God more. Have you ever been around someone like that? I think of uh, when I was pastoring in Pennsylvania, there was a, a lady named uh, Mona Bailey, and uh, she was, uh, had been a widow a long time. She lived in uh, a little bitty apartment that was uh, uh, supplemented by uh, government funds. She'd had a difficult life in a lot of ways, uh, uh, family and other things. Her life had not been easy but when I would go and visit Mona, I, was, I always came away blessed. Uh, Mona was the kind that uh, I, I remember going to visit her in the hospital, and she had just had surgery. And uh, I, I came into her room, and I said, uh, Mona, how you feeling? Which I, I don't know why you asked that after surgery. I mean, it's like, how do you think I'm feeling? You know, that's... Don't ask me that. Let me just say that. But but I said, "Mona, how are you feeling?" And and she said, "Well, I I, I got I have a good bit of pain." But immediately, next phrase. "But oh, it's nothing compared to what my Lord experienced on the cross." And I thought that that would not be me. But what a wonderful testimony and then to hear her pray, you would swear that the heavens were opening up. You see, that's the kind of thing that we can experience when we are together that you're not going to get when you're not together. And then love towards others, the very nature of the word doesn't mean just having a, you know, a gooey feeling of love. It's not that kind of thing. It's talking about doing loving acts toward one another. You know, I saw that display. Josh earlier talked about uh, what went on here last Tuesday as we had our community Thanksgiving. And you know what was so neat about that? We, we had over 50 people from the church helping out. And it wasn't just making plates of turkey and food and slapping it down on the table and getting that out of the way. Our people were out there among the people. Now, the ones that come to this are poor. Uh, Many of them are challenged mentally or physically. Uh, These are the people that if you drive through our area, you know what? You don't see them. They're not the people that we see or we put out front. And it was so encouraging to see our people walk around and show love towards these people, though it was for a limited amount of time, but show love towards these people And for many, that was the only thanksgiving they had and probably the only love they had showed toward them over thanksgiving. Josh mentioned our vision 2017. The next phrase after what he read says, we will also be involved in ministries of mercy in the name of Christ as deeds ministries to complement our words. Our fellowship with one another, which will be reflected in each uh, major ministry uh, area, should be a unique witness to our world of our love for one another. That's not just a once-a-year thing. In fact, we're making plans for our missions conference of, of having hands-on ministry with, with various local ministries that we deal with and uh, uh, that should be the very fabric of our church because that will, that will make people say there's a difference there. There's something different there. Why? Why would they do that? You know, you don't get anything out of that. You know, you don't necessarily get members from something like that. Uh, you don't get people contributing to your church. That wasn't the point. It was a matter of showing love toward them. Another thing that uh, can't happen in the same way when we're apart from one another is we stir one a- another up to good works. Uh, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Now that is not let me repeat that is not works that earn us salvation. That's not what that's talking about there uh Biblically, there is no such thing as works that will get us to heaven or earn us salvation. These works are a result of the love that we have for God and for one another. In fact, one commentator was kind of frustrated with, with trying to figure out the best way to translate that, and so he came up with this, and I think it's a, it's a, a good description Um, Rather than good works, he uses the phrase noble works. Noble works is what we ought to stir one another up to. Sometimes you have to understand that means receiving ministry too. Let me tell you about another lady. She was uh, a lady that... uh, uh, was in her last years of life on this earth, but still drove to church every every week and and when I would go to visit her, she would she never had any children of her own. She would tell me about the children that she had picked up to take to Sunday school all throughout her life and what they were doing now, and the ones that still were in the church and and still serving the Lord and so on. she knew that she had had an impact upon others and, and it, it was a great joy to her. But then there came a point where I visited her one day and she said, because she hadn't been in church in a couple of weeks, and so I was concerned and I, I went over and I, I, as soon as I got in there, she said, I won't be able to come to church anymore. And I, I said, well, why not? And she said, well, I can't drive anymore. I've had to quit driving. I've, and she, she really, she probably should have quit driving a, a while before that. But she said, I, I've had to quit driving, so I won't be able to come. And I said, well, I called her by her name, and I, I, I said, well, you know, he, he, there are tons of people that would pick you up. And, and she even had relatives in, in town. She only lived a mile from the church. And she said, Oh, I don't want to put anyone out. And I thought, Well, she's just trying to be polite. And, and, uh, but the more I talked to her, she would not, she would not, and never did let anyone come and pick her up. You know, you know what happened because of that? Robbery. Robbery happened because of that. Our church was robbed of her presence. She was robbed of the ministry of the body of Christ and of worship that she would have had by being with us. And she robbed others of the joy of ministry that they could have had to her, that same joy that she had had as she ministered to other people. Now, I can relate. I can understand it. And and probably many of you can too. It's, It's easier to minister to others sometimes than to be ministered to. But there's a time for both. And sometimes this spurring one another on means being humble enough to accept ministry. And then there's a fourth thing that can't happen in the same way uh, when we're apart from one another, and that is encouragement. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as the, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you've heard me quote him a, a number of times, but he wrote a, a, a little book called Life Together, uh, and it was about commu- Christian community, and it was really cutting edge at the time, and... Uh, you know, we've based a lot of what we, how we understand fellowship on, on uh, the kinds of things that he said. And I want to I read you just a, a brief quote from him. He said this, "'The Christian needs another Christian "'who speaks God's Word to him. "'He needs him again and again "'when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. "'For by himself he cannot help himself.'" without belying the truth. He needs his brother as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. Now catch this next phrase. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. Did you catch that? The Christ in his own heart is weaker than than that which is spoken to him by his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. You see what he's saying? That's why it's so important that we be together. Because we will have those moments, those times of weakness and doubt and frustration, and that's where our brothers, whether it's our, our teachers or just someone who will come alongside and encourage and speak that truth to us that is absolute truth, but for some reason at this point in my heart, I'm just not not remembering that. And it helps to have it spoken out loud to us. We need each other for encouragement. Maybe you saw the, the movie Antoine Fisher. If you haven't seen that, I'd encourage you to watch it and As always, I will make a disclaimer. I'm not endorsing everything in that movie. But the movie is uh, basically a a true story of a young man that was abandoned at birth by an incarcerated woman. And he, in his childhood, went from uh, home to home, foster homes, and uh, orphanages, and in many of those places experienced abuse. When he turned 18, he joined the Navy. And at that point, uh, while he was trying to function with everyone else, uh, his anger just kept boiling over. He kept getting in fights to where they ordered him to uh, seek counseling. Which he did. Uh, the psychologist, who in the movie was played by Denzel Washington, which means there's hope. You know, you know, if Denzel's the psychologist, there's going to be hope. He uh, he encourages Antoine to find his roots, to gain some healing because of what he had been through. He makes numerous calls and and finally calls an an aunt and an an uncle in Cleveland, and the uncle arranges for him to meet his mother. They pull up to uh, a dilapidated apartment, and they go, the the uncle knocks on the door, and the mother answers the door, and uh, when she realizes this, was her son you see an empty expressionless face they go into the other room and sit on the couch and Antoine asks of course the questions that you would ask why didn't you ever come to try to find me And there are no answers. She simply stares off and you see a a tear going down her face but no other response. Eventually he gets up and he he kisses her on on the cheek as if to, to say, I forgive you. And then they leave. And you can see in Antoine's walk, just the despondency and the loneliness. They go to where the aunt and uncle live, and they arrive there and open the door, and they see a house full of people and signs, Welcome Antoine. It's his relatives, it's cousins that say, I was named after your daddy. And ones that, that hug him and they've never met him before, but, but they welcome him in. And he walks through and, and sees various signs and they're applauding and, and rejoicing. And then he walks into a dining room. They open the door and there's this magnificent feast laid out before him. And there's one elderly lady sitting at the end that is obviously the matriarch. He walks over toward her and she gets everyone's attention by knocking on the the table. And she musters all the strength she has, obviously very weak. And she takes his hands, then she Rubs his cheeks and she says, Welcome, welcome. Maybe sometimes in this sometimes lonely world you feel like Antoine. in your school, in your work, in church, maybe you have that feeling. If you're trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life, this is the place that says, welcome. This world will not give you that welcome, but Jesus will stroke our cheeks and welcome us into his family. Therefore, encourage one another and don't neglect the meeting together. Let's bow together. Thank you, Lord, for your reminder to us of just where our place is. And Lord, help us not to neglect the meeting together, as is the habit of some, but instead to consider how we can stir up one another to love and good works, and encourage one another. Even today, even as we leave this place, give us encouraging words for one another. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.